Yeah, so we need, we're, we're a church in the city, for the city, and that means we need to be able to think about our faith and why we believe what we believe. Um, and we had this class um, a couple weeks ago on the um, evidence for the resurrection, which I thought was like super, super compelling. I really enjoyed the, um, the subject material, but um, I thought this was a really good follow-up. Laura had the idea to, to, um, to follow up with this class, and it's really kind of like, uh, hey, we actually can't prove this. <laughs> you can't actually prove um, your faith uh, beyond the shadow of a doubt. So what do you do with that? Um, how do you uh, go out and interact with the city uh, and believe something that you can't prove? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm Chad. I'm on staff here at Harbor. And this is Laura. What do you have to say for yourself, Laura? Uh, <laughs> I love to think and talk about uh, why I believe. So I'm glad you're here to talk with me. Very cool. All right, well, so essentially this class is about worldview. Um, and worldview is this. It's the set of basic beliefs through which we see and we understand uh, reality. So uh, basic beliefs are like a lens that color everything that you see uh, and how you understand reality. Um, so we're surrounded by all these different worldviews. Uh, some say there's a God, some say there's no God, some say it's this God, but not that God, some say no, 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 you're all wrong. Um, and uh, everyone point is that everyone is looking at reality uh, through a lens, and they're coming to different conclusions based on what they see through that lens, and uh, obviously this creates a lot of conflict, right? So exhibit A is human history, conflict. Um, and right now, we live in a super polarized society, no one's going to deny that, right? It seems like we're not able to talk about things like science and religion or faith and reason without starting to yell. So one of the points of this class is to uh, find a better way to talk about this stuff uh, without all the yelling, all right? So like I said, there's lots of different worldviews. There's atheism, there's agnosticism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, pantheism, uh, flying spaghetti monsterism, uh, flat earthism, which there's like a, have you guys seen the Netflix? Yeah. There's a Netflix movie, um, Flat Earth, pretty amazing. So there's all these different ways of looking at reality. Um, but here's the thing, is that all of them can be lumped into two main categories, um, religious and secular. Okay? And so the religious worldviews say that God exists, and the secular worldviews say that God does not exist, or we can't know. All right? So all the different worldviews fit into these two uh, main categories. Um, and here's the problem. These two categories uh, lead to very different conclusions about really important stuff. Stuff that we um, base our society on, stuff that we base how we live on. So, like I'm talking about um, uh, the nature of reality, um, the purpose of life, what it means to be human, how do we distinguish uh, between right and wrong, um, what's the basis for hope and happiness. So, these are really important things, and that's why it's important for everybody to be able to answer the question like, which of these is actually correct, and to be able to think clearly about that. The problem is, as I alluded to earlier, is that um, neither of these have uh, are provable. So both of them lack completely empirical, undeniable proof. All right. So you might disagree uh, with that statement, um, but that's what this class is about. So we've got to stick around and we'll learn more about that. So Laura, what's your take on this? So perhaps you're um, secular. You think you've got reason and logic on your side that this, this uh, faith is unnecessary and irrational at best. 
So that's where you come from. Or you are a believer. You've chosen to believe despite the fact that there is no empirical proof. So how do you do, as Jesus calls us to do, share your faith? How do you talk about with friends and neighbors that which is does not put aside your reason and rationality? How do you engage? Yeah, and so uh, we're not going to talk about everything um, that has to do with worldview. We're not going to talk completely about secularism and, and religious worldviews. Um, we're only just going to start the conversation, but one uh, important thing that the class is going to do is we're going to talk about how they compare. All right, so we're going to, um, we want to show you how uh, the religious and the secular worldview stack up against each other. And so if you're not a Christian, um, I think this class is going to give you compelling reasons to consider the religious worldview, and specifically Christianity. Uh, but if you're here and you are a Christian, I think this class is going to give you um, confidence to step more into conversations about with your friends and your neighbors. So um, how we're going to structure the class is this. Um, Dr. Tim Keller is the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He's the author of several books, including Reason for God, Making Sense of God, which go a lot deeper into these subjects that we're going to talk about. Uh, he's a smart guy, he's a disciple dude. Uh, we're going to work our way through a video of him discussing these topics. And to help us understand and digest uh, what he's talking about, we're going to watch a brief clip and follow along sheets that you guys should have, uh, fill in the blank kind of thing, um, and then we'll stop and we'll review our answers together and we'll discuss it. So that's what we're going to do. That make sense? All right, and so the goal of the class is this, uh, to equip you to think and to speak clearly about faith and proof so that you can share Jesus with friends and neighbors. Um, that's the goal, all right? So if you're not doing anything with the information we get, like you're, you're doing it wrong. Right. The other point here is we want to equip you to have a practical tool uh, to go out and to um, live out your faith in, in the city in whatever way God called you to do that. So, um, all right, so in terms of uh, following along with the video, like I said, it's a fill-in-the-blank kind of thing, and that's to help you kind of follow along and engage. If you miss a blank, uh, <coughs> don't freak out. Bless you. Thank you. Uh, don't freak out if you miss a blank because we're going to stop after the video and we'll review it together same page uh, before we discuss it. Does that make sense? All right, so let's jump into the first video. Everybody ready? You sure? You can't talk about whether you can believe in God or not believe in God, whether you can believe in Christianity or not believe in Christianity. There's no way to do that unless you first go back far enough and say, well, how do you decide what to believe in any situation? How do you believe in anything? Uh, what, how does faith and reason uh, relate? Or, the subtitle, can you believe in things that you can't prove? How can you believe in things that you can't prove? So we've got to get all the way in the back and ask ourselves the question, how does faith and reason work? And the way I like to do that tonight is I like to pose a problem for you. I like to show you a problem, give you a couple of theories that don't work as solutions, and then I'm going to tell, give you what I do think works as a solution and a way forward. So we're setting the table for all the other talks. Problem, solutions that don't work, a solution I think that does, and a way forward. Now here's the problem. And because uh, you probably have your own list, I'm going to give you a list of very smart people that I know of who <clears throat> looked at the evidence and the arguments 
and converted to Christianity, and a whole lot of people who are just as smart, who looked at the same evidence, the same arguments, and they left Christianity, became atheists or agnostics. Tonight when I use the word secular, I'll probably mean certainly an atheist is secular, certainly an agnostic is secular. A lot of secular people say, I really don't know. Or then, then there's the indifferent person who says, I don't know if there's a God and I don't care. It's completely irrelevant to me. So there's, there's a lot of brilliant people who've looked at the evidence and have converted to Christianity from being secular or converted to being secular from being a Christian. Um, I'll give you a couple of my own. You have your own list. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Anscombe who taught philosophy at Oxford and Cambridge in the middle of the 20th century and was probably the most prominent female philosopher in history, and a lot of you are saying I never heard of her. That telling, isn't it? That, but that's another lecture right there. Why have you not heard of her? She's brilliant, brilliant. Greatest female philosopher ever. She converted to Christianity. Uh, Francis Collins, who uh, led the Human Genome Project, is one of the leading scientists in the whole world, is the head of the NIH. Uh, he was an atheist and converted to Christianity. Uh, T.S. Eliot, probably heard of him. Very, very famous playwright, poet, man of letters, who was an atheist or an agnostic and then converted to Christianity. On the other side, uh, these are some people you know and some you don't, people I know. Mark Lilla, who teaches humanities at Columbia University. Brilliant man, I've been in a couple of uh, forums with him. Uh, he's written some great books recently. Uh, Mark Lilla had a very strong religious background, uh, and yet he grew up, and after uh, becoming an adult, he looked at it and said, no, he became a secular man. Uh, Richard Dawkins, very famous guy, who was raised in Anglican and somewhere in his late teens said, this is ridiculous, and he became an atheist. And Bertrand Russell, Bertrand Russell was a very famous 20th century British philosopher who was an atheist. And near the end of his life, somebody asked him, uh, he said, uh, Mr. Russell, Dr. Russell, uh, what happens if you die and you find out you're wrong and you stand before God in his judgment seat? What are you going to do? And Bertrand Russell didn't miss a beat. He said, I'm going to say, don't blame me, God. There wasn't enough evidence. In fact, he said, I I'll say to him, there was not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. So, you know, you should not blame me for anything. But here's the funny thing about this. T.S. Eliot, Francis Collins, who, by the way, is a scientist, Elizabeth Anscombe, who's a brilliant, brilliant analytic philosopher, they thought there was enough evidence. Evidence. So here you have equally brilliant people looking at the same stuff. One group saying, no way, no way, no evidence at all. It's just no proof, none evidence. No reason to believe in God. Another group saying, yes, there is plenty of it. How do you account for that? Class, don't raise your hands. <laughs> but let me suggest two theories of how to explain that that I don't think work. The first one I'm going to be really quick about with this theory because even though I know people who believe this, and I've met people who believe this, they're un almost, it's very unlikely any of you in this room would be in this in this uh, uh, this category, but there are some people who say that the reason why the, the uh, this group of people uh, believe and this group of people uh, don't believe is because the secular people are simply closing their eyes to the evidence. 
In other words, the people who believe in God are rational. And the people who refuse to look at the evidence and become atheists and secular people, they're being irrational and biased. This approach says this. This group says, look, the proofs for God, the cosmological, teleological, ontological, moral, the proofs for God, they're really strong. And we're going to get to those sometime in the, in the series later. And the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very, very strong. And therefore, any rational person who is objective and open-minded will simply say, why? There's every reason to believe in God. And if you don't, it's because you have some uh, bias and you're just closing your eyes to the facts. Now, maybe, I, maybe uh, the reason I'm being so quick on this, I'm not going to spend much time on it. I don't think that works for a couple of reasons. I'm not going to take much time on it because, I, again, I don't think any of those people live in New York City. Um, hardly. <laughs> Uh, and there's, here's, here's a couple reasons why. By the way, there is such a thing as bias. Secular people can and do have their biases against belief. The book of Romans actually talks about them, and I'm going to get to that a little later. But having said that, spending decades and decades with people who wrestled with whether to believe in Christianity or not, and wrestled with the arguments, and wrestled with the, the evidence and all that, I've spent decades with people, and here's one of the things I know. There is no, even the strongest, put it this way, even the strongest logical arguments for God and for Christianity, always, they're never completely airtight. They're never completely airtight. Uh, maybe, there may be one argument that's kind of airtight, but all it does is take you to, be, to believe in Aristotle's unmoved mover. It doesn't take you to the God of the Bible. Uh, the reality is that there are, there are very good arguments. I'm going to give them to you if you're willing to be here tonight and to come back later. Uh, but when it, when it comes to, to saying every rational person has to accept the evidence for religion and Christianity because, frankly, uh, all the arguments are completely airtight. That's not true. There's always wiggle room. There's always room for doubt. Always. And the, the reality is that so many people I've seen who just cannot believe are people of real intellectual integrity. So it's really not fair to say, oh, they're just being biased. Besides that, I'm a Christian, which means I believe that God wants faith. And however you define faith, it's more than just reason. In other words, it, it, to say, well, you know, anyone who's open to the evidence would be compelled, every rational person over the evidence is would be compelled to believe. Well, that's all I know is that that doesn't, make, that doesn't leave room for faith. God has set things up. This is the Christian view. So that you do, you can exercise faith, which means whatever that is is somewhat beyond reason. Uh, reason is not enough to make you a Christian or a believer. It never has been. And so it's really wrong to simply say, well, religious people, they, they're being rational and the secular people are being irrational. Um, and that's the reason why uh, Richard Dawkins and those people and Bertrand Russell, they just close their eyes to the truth. No, these are people of intellectual integrity. And uh, we, we, we have to realize there's a limit to just how uh, even the strongest logical arguments for God. But theory two, the second theory, which is dominant in a place like New York City, and that's why we're going to spend some time on it. The second theory, that secular people are secular because of reason, but religious people are religious because of faith. Secular people have reason, but religious people have faith, and they have an emotional need to believe. 
Secondly, people are just being unbiased. They're just simply looking at things with a clear eye of, faith, of, of reason. But anyone who becomes a believer has some emotional need. We're not saying that Tess Elliott and Francis Collins and, and Elizabeth Anscombe aren't smart people, but they must have had some need, because if you just look at things objectively, you'll be secular. So that idea is, this theory is secular people have reason, but religious people have faith. And I'm here to tell you that's not true.
and dig beyond that, we think that's where the potatoes do kind of mess. I don't think when you start to dig into the core of what people really need, it stays there because you know you start to uncover the bias or you start to see that there is some reason behind Christianity. But I think so much we don't get into those conversations, so we just see that surface. I guess it's true on the surface, but not what you think. Not what you think, exactly. Yep. You engage. Other thoughts? Anybody like encounter this this view of the dichotomy, like with people that aren't believers, they would say, "Well, I'm being rational," whereas you have this thing called faith, and it's just like a different category. Anybody run into that in their friends, coworkers? This just occurred to me 
surface, um, you know, the things like the scientific method, you know, or empirical facts or things that you can test and then retest, um, that, uh, I think in the popular culture, sort of that, those tools rest in the secular world, right? We got the scientists, we got the people who have figured out um, all the answers to this, uh, to these, these questions about biology and physiology and chemistry. Um, and so, uh, so this, this uh, heavy emphasis on reason that seems to fit into the um, secular worldview. Like, to me, I'm like, I don't know, like, that, that seems like true, like that's a very compelling reason. And then this, uh, this other idea of, uh, you know, people that come to faith have this emotional need, like we see that story played out over and over again, and I'm just, like, I have that story in my life, like an emotional need that my faith uh, met me in. I had a friend who was an atheist who, she was very dismissive of, of people who came to faith because she's like, oh yeah, they were always just like at the bottom of the well, like they were super broken people and like then they, you know, found Jesus and, and, and got it back together. She's like, I'm super suspicious of that. And so again, like I can't really argue against that because I see that story played out over and over again that they seem to, you know, there seems to be this emotional need, right? And so to me, I'm kind of like, oh, this is where we're at in the class, like this is compelling. I also think, like, in conversations I've had with people, even when um, your your reason is re it's reason in that you know you, you what you've observed, what you've seen in your life, like it's personal stories too. Like even if it's a rational reason for being a Christian based on what, but it's based on what your experience is. So even then, it seems like a lot of times um, that's not something someone else can really know for sure. Your point. Even if it's reasonable, mm -hmm. it's still very personal. Right. Yeah, yeah. It works for you, Free. That works for you. That's your yeah, or like, I can say it and it makes sense, but the other person would have to just believe that. Yeah. That that's really happened to me or whatever. Yeah, and that reminds me of another conversation I've had with somebody who, um, their understanding of what it means to be religious was, oh yeah, like isn't that isn't it a virtue just to have blind faith? Isn't that kind of a requirement, a prerequisite? Is that you just believe something, you know, with no like I think in this person's mind, faith and reason were just like completely separate topics. And um, to me, I was like, oh, I never um, like I don't see it that way, but this person did. Any other thoughts on this? All right, good discussion. We're going to jump into the, um, the second video. It's about the same length of time. We're going to do the same thing, follow along, and then um, and then we'll have some more discussion. All right, so here uh, Dr. Keller is going to um, start to talk about why uh, this theory number two does not work. Uh, Charles Taylor, in his landmark book, A Secular Age, calls that a subtraction theory. Now, what do I mean by the subtraction theory? Excuse me. I'll bring this up just so I know. Charles Taylor says that most secular people tell a, a, a subtraction story. What they mean is they say, I used to believe in God, but then I just took away belief in God and the supernatural. I subtracted it out, and now I just see things the way they are with the clear eye of reason. Um, I, I found this uh, 
you might say, a testimony on the internet, a guy who had been a Christian and he lost his faith, and his name is, uh, doesn't matter, He's uh, his, name, his name is S.A. Joyce, but here's what he said. He was looking at the evidence, and he said, the question entered my mind, what is a God for whom there is no real evidence? Non-existent came the obvious answer, and at that point, the blinders of dogma and the yoke of dread were finally taken off. For the first time, the universe now shone in a wholesome new light, the comforting glow of reality no longer distorted. I was free. Now, Charles Taylor calls that a subtraction story, which is to say, I was a believer, and I just took out God and the supernatural, and I just used my reason. I got rid of faith and emotion, and I just am looking at it objectively, and when I see that, now I can finally see, see things uh, clearly. And... Um, in fact, what they would say is, finally, I'm uh, in, uh, able to see life as it is. Now, how do they ex explain, say, Francis Collins and Elizabeth Ansem, Anscombe and, and T.S. Eliot? What they say is, well, look, the reality is there's lots of reasons why you might want God to be there. Like, you want to believe that when you die, it's not the end. You want to believe that when you die, you could be with your loved ones. There's all kinds of reasons. Uh, emotional reasons uh, that you don't really want to see life as it is. But if you are just willing to get rid of emotion and get rid of dogma and get rid of all those things and just look at the world through the clear eye of reason, without any faith or belief, just objectively, then you'll become a secular person. Uh, interestingly, the, uh, the Charles Taylor's massive book, A Secular Age, and Charles Taylor is a Canadian philosopher, French-Canadian philosopher. He devotes the entire book almost to showing that that's not true. And here's what his thesis is. And here's my thesis tonight. And this is the thesis I want you to push back on. And I happen to know it's a thesis that's very unpopular in New York. Okay. The thesis is this. If you're a secular person, secularism is not the absence of belief. It's a new set of beliefs which are just as unprovable as other religious beliefs. Let me say it again. If you're a secular person, secularism is not the absence of belief. It's not just rational objectivity. It's not the absence of beliefs. It's the presence of a whole new set of beliefs, which also are not provable either. And therefore, secular people and, and Christian people equally have to justify their beliefs. But one does not have the higher moral ground. Secular people can not say, well, we're rational, and if you religious people can prove God, then we'll believe it. We're rational, and if you give us the evidence, then we'll believe it. No, no, you're on the same playing field because it's two sets of beliefs, neither of which are provable, both of which need to be justified. Does that make sense? I know that it's, I know it's very unpopular, so let me follow along uh, with what Charles Taylor says to make his case. Ready? Charles Taylor says the subtraction story doesn't work, the idea that secular people are, don't have faith, that they're just being reasonable and objective. Uh, the first reason it doesn't work is because you can't disprove the existence of God. And because you can't disprove the existence of God, that means if you're living as if there is no God, you're doing it on faith. You have faith that there is no God. You're betting your life that there is no God. And therefore... If you're a secular person, you are living by faith. See, I've talked to many secular people who say this. I don't believe in the abominable snowman. 
unless you can give me evidence for it. So why should I believe in God unless you give me evidence for it? Now, when you say that, you're making a category mistake. It's a category mistake because God, no religion, I'm not talking about just Christianity here, no religion actually believes that God is an object inside the universe like the abominable snowman. Here's a better way to understand what religion's saying. Religions, all the religions of the world say this material world cannot exist on its own. Matter could not just happen. Matter cannot just keep itself uh, maintained. That there must be something, some immaterial being, some supernatural reality that generated matter and that upholds matter. Okay? Secular people say, no, no, no. Matter generated itself. It just, it caused itself and it can support itself. So religious, the religions of the world say matter cannot generate or maintain itself. And secular people say, well, yes, it, yes, it can. There's nothing but matter. There is no transcendent reality. Now, how are you going to prove one of those views? What experiment, what scientific test could you use to, to even test the secular thesis that matter generated itself and doesn't need any uh, undergirding reality behind it? How do you test for that? You can't. Uh, when, uh, when a secular person says, well, we don't know where matter came from, it just came. Okay, how do you, how do you test for that? You can't test for that. So, um, Blaise Pascal's famous wager, maybe you've heard of it. He basically says, you cannot prove that there is a God, but you cannot prove that there is no God. It's impossible to prove something like that. And therefore, whoever you are, you're basing your life and betting your life on an act of faith that either there is or there isn't a God. So secular people actually have a view of the material world and reality that can't be proven, and therefore it's based on faith. That's the first thing Charles Tiller says. Here's the second thing he says. Now, the second reason the subtraction story doesn't work is because there are as many emotional reasons to disbelieve in God as there is to believe in God. And therefore, that's a wash. I'm a believer, and I got plenty of them. There's plenty of emotional reasons I might want to believe in God, and it might cloud my rational faculties. But if you are here tonight and you're not a believer, there is plenty of emotional reasons to, that you might have to not believe in. You might have to not believe in God, and that can also cloud your rational faculties. Uh, Thomas Nagel taught, um, for many years, taught philosophy at NYU, very famous uh, philosophy professor down there, he wrote a book some years ago. He's an atheist, and here's what he said. He said, I want atheism to be true, and I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God, and naturally, I hope that I'm right. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem that I have is not rare. And interesting, he called it a cosmic authority problem. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not a rare condition and that it is responsible for much of the scientism and reductionism of our time. One of the tendencies it supports is the ludicrous overuse of evolutionary biology to explain everything about human life. This is a ridiculous situation. It is just as irrational 
to be influenced in one's belief by the hope that God does not exist as by the hope that God does exist. You may have heard of Aldous Huxley, who was a famous atheist, British uh, writer, uh, and he wrote this. He said, the philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with the problem of pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove that there's no valid reason why he should not live the way he wants to live. I must admit for myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. I objected to the morality because it interfered with my sexual freedom. And Tom Nagel adds a footnote. He says, I'm curious whether there's anyone who is genuinely indifferent as to whether there's a God or not. Anyone who, whatever his actual belief about the matter, doesn't particularly want either one of those answers to be correct. See, what I'm trying to say is simply this. There's lots of emotional reasons why you might not want to believe in God. Because as Aldous Huxley said and Tom Nagel said, that means I can't live any way I want. But there's also plenty of emotional reasons why I do want you might want to believe in God. And therefore, just realize wherever you are, whoever you are, you do have some biases. You do have some needs that might cloud your rational faculties. It's not going to be easy, therefore, to, to think about this in a, in a good way, in a, in a clear-minded way. But you mustn't say all the emotional needs are on that side. Believers should never say, oh, secular people, they just don't want to believe in God because they want to live any way they want. And secular people might, must not say, oh, Religious people, they want to believe in God so that they can know they can go to heaven when they die. Well, the answer is, yeah. They're both true. And therefore, it's a wash. In other words, this argument does not cut either way. But it certainly does not mean that secular people can just say, oh, there's absolutely no reason why, you know, I'm, I'm, that, that I'm being totally objective. It's, did you hear what Tom Nagel said at the end? He said, I doubt very much there's anybody who comes to the question about God in an objective, unbiased way. I don't believe anybody does.